Alright. Um, turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And as you are doing so, uh, one of the things I have begun to, to realize and notice over the years, particularly as I serve with among my fellow elders, is that the older one grows in age, the more linear they become in their thinking. Elder Matafalo was supposed to welcome some members. He was in the spirit. So I'll do that on his behalf. Well, if the following are present, may you please come forward so that the church sees you and then I'll extend the right hand of fellowship to you and then you can stand at the entrance and then people will be able to welcome you. Uh, is it Nakubiana uh, Mungomba? Is it present? She present? All right, please. Moses Shakumbila and Bualia. No, it's Thomas Wally. All right, the fourth, uh, we're supposed to have come four individuals. And uh, one is not well in body, will come them when they are available. Please just move in the middle so that Don can take a picture of you, and then I'll extend the right hand of fellowship to you. So they did testify about two weeks ago, and nothing has been brought to the attention of the elders as to why we may not proceed to welcome them into membership. We will do that in your uh, presence or in your seeing. And then you have that opportunity to do so at the end of the service. So please take note of them and do welcome them. Open up your homes for fellowship and get to know them a little bit more. Alright, that is done. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read the first four verses, but we'll make reference uh, to uh, verse 1 up to verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, I will read the first four verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things, of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice, let me read that again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, will no longer have any consciences of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of every of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. For the last four Sundays, we have been considering uh, the theme, Behold the Lamb of God, and this was with a view to build momentum as we Head towards the Easter 
evangelism. Or as we head towards Easter, and as a church, we do have Easter evangelism. And last Lord's Day, we considered Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 through to verse 38. And in that text or that passage, we considered, behold the Lamb of God praised. And we saw how that Simeon and Hannah praised the baby Jesus when they saw him. And Simeon prophesied that this baby will be for the rising and for the fall of many. This morning we come to the last and final consideration under this short series I've entitled Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in this morning our passage in Hebrew, it shows us our perfect standing with God. Behold the Lamb who shows or provides us with perfect standing with God. Before the world was ever created, God was working towards a specific moment in time. And every creation or everything about creation in the early days of the world, in the history of the nation of Israel, everything was leading ever closer to that moment when God would accomplish his plan, the plan that he had formulated before the world was ever created. When sin entered the world, in the Garden of Eden, when man fell into the controls of sin, it did not catch God by surprise. In fact, God had already formulated a plan whereby sin might be taken rid of or taken care of even before sin became a reality. And we saw as we were looking at this, this series, God's promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And as we looked at that passage, we saw the Lamb of God promised, but we also saw the Lamb of God prepared through the virgin birth. We also saw the Lamb of God provided when he was born in Bethlehem. And the Lamb of God, we saw him being praised. However, all these things were preparing or pointing or leading to that grand moment when God's plan will come to completion. The plan could not be finished until the Lamb of God was presented and slain for sin. And it is through his death that all who come to believe in him are provided with perfect standing before the Father. So the Lamb had to come, had to be born, to live in this world, and had to finally 
die. And that provides us with perfect standing before God. A story is told of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes novels. Those detective novels, maybe some of you don't know them. He was believed to be a joker. Someone referred to him as a practical joker. It is said that one time he sent a telegram, in those days of telegram, he sent a telegram to 12 famous people in London. These are individuals that he knew. And so he sent a telegram to them and it read, flee at once, all is discovered. Flee at once, all is discovered. Although these 12 individuals were upright citizens, they all quickly left the country. Now the story probably might be made up or might be fiction, but it illustrates the fact that a guilty conscience is a common thing among human beings. Even in church, many are unsure of their standing before God. And mainly this is because of our sins or our past sins. And when the ghosts of our past begins to come out, they begin to haunt us. And Christians begin to question themselves. They begin to ask whether God has really forgiven them of their sins. They begin to wonder if there's someone else who knows about their sins. They begin to be fearful. They even begin to question whether God in Christ has truly forgiven them of their sins. They begin to wonder whether God who hold, who judge them for the sins of the past. They begin to ask a lot of questions. And in the process, they begin to lose the sense of assurance of salvation. And fail to enjoy their salvation that is accomplished by Christ. The author of the book of Hebrews and in the 10th chapter shows us that through Christ's obedience to God's will at the cross, believers receive total forgiveness. We are forgiven of our past sins, present sins and future sins. And the salvation that is ours in Christ helps us to see this perfect standing. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can approach the throne of God with boldness, not because of anything in us, but because of the finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go on the highest mountain and shout, have been justified, declared righteous, because of Christ. And this is the good news that we, we share with the world. 
That even though people may know about your past, thank God you are not what you used to be. Praise God you know that you are not what you ought to be because he's still working in you and he'll present you before his throne without fault or wrinkle all because of the Lamb of God who provides us with perfect standing before God. And this is what we are being told in this passage. In Christ, every Christian has free access to God the Father and can approach the Father in Christ. And the first thing we notice there is that the sacrifices prescribed by the law could not completely remove the guilt of sin. The sacrifices prescribed by the law could not completely remove the guilt of sin. And this is what we pick from verse 1 through to verse 4. And what the author is really trying to show is that the observance, the, observe, the observing of these laws could not totally remove the guilt of sin. And he's arguing and showing that the law was only a shadow of the good things to come. And it was just a form of the very things that were to come. And he says in verse 1 and 2, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of his realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. And the author is basically saying, for this reason, this repetition of these sacrifices could not make perfect those who were observing them. Could not make perfect those who drew near. Otherwise, this would have ceased. This would have ended. And the saying to make perfect there simply refers to your standing before God. And he's saying these could not make you perfect before God. Because it could not totally remove the guilt of sin. And in verse 3, he says, but, the, but these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. And it is interesting that the author of Hebrews in, uses a Greek word, a reminder there, which is used by the Lord Jesus Christ when he institutes the Lord's Supper. It's the same Greek word. When the Lord Jesus Christ, and also the Apostle Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It is the same word that is used here. 
And the author of Hebrews is basically saying, these were a reminder, they were pointing you to something. They themselves were not the final thing. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he talks about the Lord's Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He's basically saying the bread and, and the drink are not the final in themselves. They are pointing you to me. And as you proclaim, as you observe, you are proclaiming my death until I come. They are not the final in and of themselves. And here, this is what the author of Hebrew wants us to have in mind. He said, when you eat the bread and drink the cup, it reminds you of the penalty of sin that was accomplished by Christ. But they are not Christ themselves. They are but a shadow pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And this is what he's also saying here. That the fact that every year they had to go through the rituals of sacrifice on the day of atonement. A priest would go in and animals would be slaughtered and sins would be atoned for. The fact that every year this was being done, his argument is that it shows in and of itself that it was not the real and final thing. It was pointing to what was to come. All what these did, the day of atonement, was to simply put off for another year the atoning of the sins of the people and of the nation. And the Bible plainly shows us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and gods to take away sin. And his argument really is that outward religious activities cannot have an everlasting bearing upon those who observe them. And that's all his argument. That's his argument here. That human beings can observe religious activities. And the Lord will be doing this as we head towards Easter. The Lord will be doing that, observing outwardly what the death of Christ means. And there will be Palm Sunday, cutting out palm branches. And in other parts of the world, there will be people that will be literally be crucified. And yet the Bible is saying to us that outward religious activities cannot remove sin, however sincere the person may be. Animal blood has no permanent ability for human sin. It's simply an outward ritual. God designed the system of, of, of his own. And this, his design was not that sin would be atoned for by human blood, or rather animal blood, but that that animal sacrifice was pointing to the provision of God. And the provision of God was that 
He will send His beloved Son to die for sinners. And God's provision of sacrifice of His own Son shows us that as, as an, God has this plan that works, as eternal God, His sacrifice has infinite value. And the Lord Jesus Christ as man his sacrifice atones for human sin in a way that the blood of animals could never do. And the message is this. Your religious activities simply hides the true you. The real you is veiled in those religious activities. And God is not happy with the people who hide in religious activities so as to hide their real depravity of their hearts. And most of us long to be at church not because of gratitude to what God has done but simply to soothe our consciences and hide in religious activities similar to what they were doing in the Old Testament where they would sacrifice animals and yet all those were pointing to the real thing coming the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to tell you this morning, religious activities cannot save you from your sins. What you need is the grace of God. The second thing we notice is Christ's obedience to God's will on the cross. Christ's obedience to God's will on the cross. Verse 5 through to verse 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In bent offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and bent offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ's obedience to God's will at the cross set aside the Old Testament sacrifices and provided perfect standing for us before God. 
And the author in verse 5 through to verse 7, he puts a quote from Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. In the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes into this world. And this assumes the pre-existence of Christ. It shows us that Christ is the eternal God. And when you read in Psalm, you'll see that as the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8, he's basically saying, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you read Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8, and you read in Hebrews uh, chapter 5 to 8 to 7, there is a difficult in that the, the Hebrew of Psalm reads, my ears you have opened. And here we are saying, it says, sacrifice and burnt offerings I have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And so when those who are translating the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint, you discover that what they would do is they would look sometimes in some parts where they fail to find an equivalent word, they would try and understand what the meaning is and then supply with some explanation. And that's why you see here in Hebrews we are being taught, but a body you have prepared for me. And so apparently the, the Greek translators would render an interpretive phrase of the Greek text. And so they would use a part and then expound, but still maintain what is being communicated. And really the picture in Psalm 40 and in Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7, is, is, that, is that of God's opening the ear of his servant so that the servant does his will. That's all he's trying to communicate. It's that God is opening the ear of his servant so that his servant will do his will and will be obedient to his mission. And so here when the, the Hebrew says, but a body you've prepared, again it's still giving us the same, the, the same meaning, that God formed his servant for the purpose of doing his will. That's why we see where the author is saying, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired. And he's basically saying everything that was being done was not really what God desired. But God desired that his own beloved son, one who is like him, one who was with him, one who understands who the father is, will be the one to come and offer a sacrifice that will be pleasing to the father. Hence the reading there, but a body you have prepared for me. And really highlighting that Jesus Christ 
would be the only suitable or suitable sacrifice for our sins. He was formed or a body was prepared for him for this very purpose. And therefore showing to us that the cross of Christ, so Christ's death on the cross was not an accident, was not something unforeseen by God. It was not plan B for God. It's not that it caught God by surprise. It was not even a setback in God's plan of salvation. But that God worked out the details and that everything that happened was happening according to the timings and the timetable of God. The cross of Christ was God's predetermined plan before the beginning of time. God had planned and that the son would come into this world. He would be born of a virgin and he would give his life through his obedience to his father. And when he die, his death will bring about perfect standing before the father. It will bring about total forgiveness of sins. When Christ died, the justice of God's demand was satisfied. And the payment for sin was made. But also there's a great mystery as we look at the event on the cross. While God ordained and planned every detail that would happen, leading to the death of his beloved son, even to the point of casting lots of the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not in any way responsible for the sins of those who crucified Christ. They acted out of their own sinfulness as they beheld Christ and cried out, let's crucify him. Yes, the Father worked out the details, but he will not be held in any way as responsible for the sins of those who crucified Christ. But when you read the, preach, the, 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 the preaching of the prayers of the, the saints in Acts chapter 4, when they were threatened with being arrested if they continue to preach Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, the Bible puts it this way. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Potus Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They were being taught. They gathered together. And yet, that gathering resulted in the very plan that God had determined would happen. While they acted in their own sinful rebellion, the Father was not surprised. They were fulfilling 
his purposes to bring about salvation of many. And the death of Christ specifically his death on the cross provided the sacrifice needed to atone for the sins. And it shows us Christ's determination to obey his Father. That through it all, even when in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Lord Jesus Christ would pray to his Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass away from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And we cannot imagine how difficult it was for the sinless Son of God to be made sin for us. We cannot imagine what he went through. He had been united to the Father from eternity past and there was fellowship within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit enjoyed this godly fellowship. And now, even for a moment, he was to be separated from the Father because he was taking the sins of the world. And you can't imagine what the Father went through to crush his beloved Son. We cannot imagine what the Son went through to drink in the stroke of the Father. What the Bible tells us is that through that we stand perfect before God before found in Christ. And we see what the Father desires are not sacrifices but a repentant heart. A repentant heart so that any service to God, any sacrifice to God must reflect a heart that is repentant, a heart that has come to know God, a heart that has been forgiven of sin, a heart that can sing with joy, I stand in the righteousness of Christ and God made him to be seen who knew no sin. And again, I want to challenge you this morning. God is not pleased with the people who simply go through outward motions of worship. God is not happy with such a people who engage in the outward motions of the worship of this God but harbor sin in their hearts. You can go to church, you can be part of a church, you can even partake of the communion uh, table, but if your heart is living in obedience to God, God is not happy with you. Thomas Boston says, and I quote, if you are not born again, 
All your outward reformation is nothing. If you're not born again, all your outward reformation is nothing. You have shut the door, but the thief is still inside the house. Yes, you've shut the door, but the thief is still inside. And God desires that your acts of worship must reflect a heart transformed by his power. And this can only be so if you believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And thirdly and quickly, you see the power of Christ's single sacrifice. The power of Christ's single sacrifice. Verse 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The author there highlights the power of Christ single sacrificed. He gave his life and through his death sin is at is atoned for. All those who come to Christ and believe in him, their sins are forgiven. And the author illustrates the, the totality of our forgiveness in Christ by illustrating the contrast between the unfinished work that the priests were doing, their repetitive ministry in the Old Testament, and the once finished, sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 11 says, and every priest, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And verse 11 portrays this priest who was basically doing the same thing without achieving the needed results. And when you read verse 11, you could, you could pick a sense of uselessness, hopelessness in the fact that the priest knew that we have to do this again at some point. And yet, it could not fully and totally forgive sins of the world. And then the author gives a contrast in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat at the right hand of God. And he's saying when Jesus offered his sacrifice, when he offered himself, he sat at the right hand of God. 
and Christ, showing us that Christ's single sacrifice was sufficient and the Father accepted it. And we're, telling, we're being shown here that with Christ, he did not continue giving up his life. He did it once. The Father was satisfied and is now seated at the right hand of God. And the sitting of Jesus Christ indicates that his work is finished. His work of sacrifice is finished. And he's been exalted to the place of supreme honor. The author of Hebrews could, would have just ended this quotation just there. By the way, these words are found in Psalm 110. But in verse 13, he says, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. And the author wants us to see that God has a plan. And that plan is first of all, Christ has died and now the enemies of Christ are being gathered and one day they'll all be in one place and will be made a footstool for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was writing to encourage, encourage believers so that they are not discouraged. Some could have been discouraged by the death of Christ. And maybe others were being, were being mocked by their fellow Jews. But look, you believed in this Christ as a Messiah. He's died and he's left you. You're hopeless. And the author shows us there that not all is lost. That's not the end. He came, he died, he's now at the right hand of his father, interceding for those who are his, but he's also gathering his enemies and they'll be made a footstool. For his feet. He will trample on them. He will crush them. He's simply waiting. For the appointed time of the father. To wrap up history. And to crush. His enemies. For by a single offering. Verse 14. He has perfected. For all time. Those who are being sanctified. And we see in that verse the position of believers before God is that they are made perfect. That's their position. God has forgiven them of their sins through Christ's sacrifice. And is imputed Christ's righteousness to them. And the basis of their perfect standing before God is because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. We see the position of believers there. And we're being taught there that the practice of believers is that they are being sanctified. 
They are being sanctified. They are growing in holiness every day. They are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. They are growing in Christ's likeness. And as they are growing in Christ's likeness, they are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, they are confirming the work of Christ on the cross. And they are a testimony of God's amazing grace. But also the implication is this. But if, the, if there is no growth in holiness, you are not becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, or perhaps, you've never known the forgiveness of Christ. Because here, we are being taught, they are being sanctified, they are perfect, they are made perfect before God, but they are being sanctified. If there is no growth in holiness, there is no question, there is no reason to question whether the person has been perfected in his position through faith in Christ Jesus. Our perfect standing before God because of Christ results in our being sanctified by Christ through his spirit. And if there is no growth in sanctification, there is no growth in holiness, it's because you've never been made perfect before God by the Lord Jesus Christ. Where there is forgiveness of sin, there is growth in Christ's likeness. The death of Christ obtained, obtained total forgiveness for believers. His death has made us perfect before God. His death sanctifies us once for all. His death completely takes away the guilt of sin. And we can stand before God with a clear conscience because of Christ. The theologian Alistair McGrath outlines the following three stages of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He says the first is, you may believe that God is promising forgiveness of sins. The second is that you may trust that that promise, you may trust that promise. The first is that you may believe that God is promising forgiveness for your sins on the cross. The second is that you may trust that promise. The third is that unless you respond to that promise, 
you shall not obtain forgiveness. Unless you respond to that promise, you will not obtain forgiveness. The, the first two stages of faith prepare the, the way for the third. And without it, there is no salvation. Then he goes on to illustrate these three stages with the following story. He said, consider a bottle of penicillin, the famous antibiotic identified by Alexander Fleming and, the first and it was first produced for clinical use in the Great Britain. The drug was responsible for saving the lives of countless individuals who would otherwise have died from various forms of blood poisoning. Think of the three stages of faith like this. One, you may accept that the bottle exists. Two, you may trust in its ability to cure blood poisoning. But nothing will change unless you receive the drug which it contains. You must allow the contents of that bottle to destroy the bacteria that is killing you inside slowly. Otherwise, you will not benefit from the contents of the bottle. Most of us believe that Jesus died. We even believe that he forgives sin. But we've never trusted and believed in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And therefore, you, are, you, you don't benefit from that knowledge. You don't benefit from the, the death of Christ on the cross. You don't experience the power of forgiveness of sin. Unless you acknowledge that Christ's sacrificial death on the cross provides forgiveness of your sins and on that knowledge you come by faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not know forgiveness from sin. Unless you come by faith and trust in God, you will continue to wallow in sin. You will continue to soothe your conscience with religious activities. And yet the thief is inside of you and is waiting for a moment to burst out of you and really live out its life. And here we see that the Lamb of God provides perfect standing with God. He came, he died, and those who believe in him have been made perfect, not because of anything in them, but because of his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they live out their lives, they can say with confidence that they stand before God not as guilty, but as innocent because of Christ. Even if the sins of the past haunts them, they still say, no guilt in life, no fear in death, 
here in the love of Christ, in the power of Christ has died. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I will stand. Or do you know what it means to have a conscience that is forgiven of sins and can look forward to face the holy God with boldness because we are dressed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Yes, the flesh, the world, and the devil may throw sins at you. They may point fingers at you. They may accuse you. Even your own conscience will accuse you. But your standing before God is perfect because of Christ. This is the news of Easter. This is why we must be in a habit of sharing the good news. This is the news that the world needs. The world that wallows in sin. The world that is, is tying itself to religious activities. The world that is being misled every day. This is the news I need to hear. That Jesus died and all those who are in Christ are made perfect before God. And you too, with all your sins, can come to Christ today and believe in him and you will be forgiven. And as we do so, we join the, the army of God's people that have testified to the power of God in every generation and in every age. As they sing of the power of God that is old but ever new. We'll be singing that hymn in closing. God came down 2,000 years ago. They tell of his story who met him on the way. But we must also tell of his story because we've met him and he lives in us. And we must show the world that yes, he came down 2,000 years ago. His power is old, but it's ever new. He triumphed 2,000 years ago. What a glorious testimony. And we must share it with the world. But if you're living in sin, remember, God has a plan. And everything is working to his plan. His son has risen from the dead, seated in heaven. He's just waiting for that day when his father will gather all his enemies and they will be brought before him and he will crush them. That's a warning to you, my friend. Turn away from sin today. Amen.
We would like to thank God for 